You know that classic situation where your partner has a super close friend of the opposite sex and they seem inseparable? Yeah, I've been there. My then boyfriend had this amazing female friend that they prioritized. They took days off just to hang out, planned special activities, all that jazz. I tried to keep cool and keep it logical, but deep down, I couldn't help but feel a pang of jealousy. It's not that I didn't trust them, but dang, I just wish we had more time together. Now it's easy to put the blame on him. How dare you not treat me like the queen that I am? But I was probably over-prioritizing our relationship, not giving myself enough space. I totally gave up my own hobbies and wasn't a very good friend. Once I figured that out, it was like zooming out to a fuller life experience and the jealousy eased up. Welcome to Self-Help Junkie, the podcast where we explore the world of personal development through the eyes of book enthusiasts. I'm your host, Erica Ng, a communication coach and your resident bookworm. This season, we'll be focused on developing our romantic skills, but before we dive into the conversation with our guest, let's get a one-minute debrief of the forms of relationships we'll be touching on. Most of us have heard the words polyamory and monogamy and can feel pretty confident in knowing the meaning of these words, but let's take a refresher. Monogamy, being with one person. But what if you're with somebody, break up, and then get together with someone new? That's called serial monogamy. You're only with one person at a time. Other types include marital, social, sexual, and genetic monogamy. Pretty self-explanatory. Now let's introduce some more people. If you're opening up your relationship, you have options. You may start with swinging, where you recreationally engage in swapping partners or go to play parties. Another step may be hierarchical polyamory, where you have a primary relationship and secondary ones that don't have that same level of priority. Of course, the opposite would be non-hierarchical, and the combination of groups involved can be varied. The most basic would be three people. If everyone's involved with each other, that's called a triad. A V, on the other hand, means one person has two separate partners, but those partners don't interact. Remember that monogamy and polyamory share a lot. Consent, communication, respect, trust are all essential to any healthy relationship. And when there's a breakdown, it doesn't matter how many people are involved, it's not going to look pretty. And with that, let's dive in. So today we have on a very special guest. Her name is Jolie Hamilton. She is a relationship coach for couples who color outside the lines. She spent the last two decades studying and reimagining what love can be and opening our own imaginations to that. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Erica. Who doesn't like to talk about relationships, right? <laughs> I've been doing it for a few months, so I've been really <laughs> enjoying it. I really thought I would run out of topics, but haven't gotten to that point yet. So we have you on today because we want to talk about jealousy. I've actually been trying to hunt down someone who specializes in jealousy, so I'm really glad that I have you on. Um, before we dive into the nitty gritty of it, I wanted to ask, what is your relationship to jealousy? Like, where did you start on your own personal journey? Yeah. So I became a professional qualitative jealousy researcher because um, I shifted from monogamy to non-monogamy as my mm -hmm. relationship structure. And monogamy had made it so that jealousy was not a huge day-to-day -day experience, although mm -hmm. envy was an enormous mm -hmm. experience okay. for me. But when I shifted relationship structures, I came face-to-face -face with jealousy. like, it, And I couldn't deny it. And what I found out was that in fact, I had been dealing with jealousy all along. I just didn't know it. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, I was really, I, I say I jumped from the frying pan into the fire in my particular experience <laughs> of jumping into non-monogamy. And I had no idea what I was doing. And it was really hard to find resources that did anything other than just tell me like, 
oh, jealousy's unevolved. Just don't feel it. Just like mm-hmm. stop it. It's insecurity, right. which wasn't helpful. And um, yeah, the things that I did to try to deal with it at first just made it worse. I kept making it worse for several years. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was all, it was entirely personal upfront. And right. eventually I studied my way through it. And now I find myself to be really a jealousy enthusiast. I oh. I find that jealousy has lots of upsides for me and I wouldn't try to cure it if I could. Right. In your explanation there, you were talking about the difference between envy and jealousy. To me, jealousy has always been more in my romantic relationships, whereas envy, I look at someone as like, oh, I want that. Whereas it's like, I want the attention that is being given. That's jealousy to me. How would you define this? Yeah, that's a great start, Erica. Mm-hmm. It really is. Um, because jealousy is always a triangle. So it's relational and it's mm-hmm. always about fearing that someone is going to interrupt our valued relationship. Mm-hmm. So we can experience jealousy in friendships. We can experience it like I could have an experience of being jealous of a coworker getting more attention from my mm-hmm. boss or feeling like my interrupt my my connection to them was at threat. Anytime we value a relationship and we feel like there's, I call them the perceived interrupter. If we mm. imagine or someone really is trying to interrupt, there we have jealousy. And envy, you hitting the nail on the head. Envy is about longing to be what someone is or have what they have. And that the trick though is a lot of times they show up at the same time. Mm. Because if I'm experiencing that that jealousy where I'm afraid of this interrupter, well, I might also envy what I think they have. The thing that I think that they have that's better than what I have. Maybe I think they're better looking. Maybe I think that they ha- are wittier or smarter. And that then now I've got jealousy and envy all layered together. And it's so helpful to tease them apart because we work with them differently. You know, jealousy right. is very relational. Envy is about my self-worth, my self-esteem, and right. my capacity to understand that je- that I could be motivated or I can fall into that hole of like, I'll never have this. <laughs> So I need to tease them apart so that I can deal with both of those issues if they show up together. Right. And with that explanation, I think your definition of envy there, I can see where maybe insecurity is more related to envy because the low self-worth. Right. And and it's it's interesting because a lot of people will say jealousy is about insecurity. And it is when we think Mm -hmm. about like secure attachment. Like, am Mm -hmm. I feeling attached to my partner? Am I feeling like I can count on them? They're reliable. Mm -hmm. I understand what we're both here for. And then there's like insecurity of my worth as a human or my value as as an individual, right? Those are two very different ways to talk about security. So I think this is a place where the English language kind of lets us down. We're using that word to mean, we use the word security for a lot of things. (laughs) Um, So again, asking people like, tell me if, if they use the word insecure, I ask them to tell me, how does that show up? How does it look? How does it sound? What do, what do you hear in your head? You know, do you hear yourself starting to, to negative self-talk about who you are and how you show up? Okay. So now we want to get into dealing with self-esteem, dealing with your self-worth, really helping yourself to build a, a strong sense of I'm great. I'm awesome the way I am. And I, yes, I can want improvement and I can really deeply enjoy who I am now. If what I'm feeling is an insecurity of, I don't know that my partner's in this with me. I don't Mm. know that I'm safe here. I don't know that my partner really understands what my relationship to them means to me. 
different issue. Now I want to turn to my partner and actually work on that with them. I want to co-create that um, because we can't create that just from our side. And when people say you're just insecure, I think, Mm -hmm. is that true? Or are you unwilling to step into the relationship and offer assurance and really show up and say, here's what we're doing. Have those define the relationship conversations, really help your partner understand where this relationship is going and what it's for. Right. And I'm imagining like with jealousy and envy, these are such primal feelings that people have. You probably felt it as a kid, maybe with your parents or your siblings. So you have a lot of immature mechanisms that you've been using over time. That is 100% correct. When we think about jealousy in particular, because it is about connecting one of the earliest roots of it, we can spot it as early as six months old, right? Mm. The baby is completely, we have these like little potato babies. They can't do anything, <laughs> right? And they they need their primary caregiver for right. survival. And then we tuck jealousy away. And, you know, I did a TED talk and one of the, the lines that all, that got a laugh on the stage was, you know, here you are, you, you are a baby and you feel jealous. And then your parents just say, you got to share everything. Hmm. And there's this recognition that people have. They're like, oh, right. Yeah. You've got to share whatever you have with your siblings or with your little preschool friends, because that's just how it is. And while that is a pro-social emotion to teach our kids, Mm -hmm. we also never sit down and say, the jealousy is totally normal. You're not wrong for feeling it. And so then it shows up in our romantic relationships, usually right in adolescence when we're going through our three-nager phase. (laughs) And now, yeah, so now we're reenacting some of those toddler-like behaviors in our teenage years. Then fast forward into our adulthood. Now we've got these two layers of times when people weren't talking to us about what jealousy is for. And we were just acting from this primal need to survive. And now here I am at 25 or 35 or 45 or 85. I don't care. Mm -hmm. And if you still haven't really reconciled what this jealousy is trying to tell you and how to ask for what you need, you're probably still going to act like you're three. Right. And how did you, I mean, you were researching this as well as opening up your relationship. So how did you work through it? Was the studying helping your own personal life or did one come before the other? Yeah. So I, um, I went back to school to get a degree in psychology about 16 months into my open relating because I just kept running up against so many problems. And I had had an old desire to learn more about psychology. Like this got, went way back to my childhood. And, um, I had studied as a lay person. I had like read widely and, but when I was stuck, when I, and I couldn't even make progress in my own therapy. Like I kept showing up mm. to therapy, but I was stuck, stuck, stuck my route out was I'm going to go learn it. I like, I got to go deeper dive. So I went through a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, a doctoral degree, and then another master's degree all because I was so obsessed with how everything that I learned helped me be a better relater and helped me understand these really tricky emotions like jealousy that are understudied. They're, they're not fully known and in particular, when we put them in the context of unconventional relationships, mm-hmm. many people, including very well-meaning therapists, also blame the relationship, the non-traditional relationship structure, rather than saying, okay, it doesn't actually matter. We're, whatever you're doing, if you're happy, let's deal with the emotional content. Let's actually get into it. And that, for me, took a lot of study and a lot of um, willingness 
to confront my own material while I was studying. I mean, that makes a lot of sense, especially with even just in the beginning of our conversation, there isn't the language to fully articulate and tease these things out. So I can imagine putting it into a non-traditional relationship is a whole other ball. Yeah. Especially if, you know, if you just think about when you've left the container of your, like, if you're, if you're in a monogamous world, here we are, we're Mm -hmm. existing in this monogamous world. And if that works for you, awesome. But when I shifted, I had all this wonderful intention, but nothing about my life supported me Mm -hmm. shifting into a non-monogamous pattern. So then it's so easy to demonize even yourself. Like, oh, this is hard because I chose non-monogamy. This is hard. But in fact, jealousy is hard wherever it shows up. I work with monogamous people all the time who are like, jealousy's kicking my ass. It just is. Right. (laughs) It's hard when it when it comes up for you. And some people are more prone to it than others. Some people really, really struggle with it. And some people are like, this is an easier one for me. It doesn't make you good or bad. It's just, we're wired differently. We had different trauma histories. It's just, we just have to deal with the fact that it's different for each of us. For sure. And how did you figure out that you wanted to open up your relationship? I'm curious on your journey there. Yeah. So I had never heard of open relationships other than like as a thing that you see on a, on like a, <laughs> an HBO movie, right. like when I was like little kid, right? Like I had, I had the barest, I, vaguest idea. And then a few of my friends had been kind of playing around and swinging a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I heard about it, like I heard whispers sort of behind the scenes. So it started to kind of enter my consciousness, but I still thought of it as something that like, I guess that's a thing people do. But then I had a really unusual experience with somebody I'd known my whole life. I have, I had known him since I was in my mother's uterus, right? Like I literally <laughs> known him my whole life. And I was married at the time. We were good friends. We were all out. We were just all out at a bar, hanging out, like celebrating. There was a, a big win for one one person out of this, the group of six who were out. And we were just all dancing. And I had this experience of that I can only describe as sacred, as like numinous. And it happened on a sticky bar floor. Like, it did, like <laughs> I was like, this is the least sacred space I could possibly be in. And yet... I felt this overlap of our beings, Mm -hmm. this like, oh, otherness. And I wanted to know him better. So it started with that. I I went home. I told my husband, I'm like, I kind of have the squishy feels for my friend. And I had had this happen over and over again with women. Mm. Um, I'm bisexual. And my husband had always been like, okay, cool. Like whatever. I had never really explored it sexually or anything. I would just explore this depth of friendship, a depth of intimacy. And so I thought it would be the same. Unfortunately, my husband at the time was not prepared for the idea Mm -hmm. of it being a man who was, I was having these feelings for this time. Mm -hmm. And so this got really complicated because I, as a bisexual person, really didn't understand why this was different. Right. And he didn't understand why I didn't understand that this was different. (laughs) And so this led to a really quick breakdown in our relationship because I felt so unseen. He felt so unseen. We tried therapy, but at the end of the day, it was only a couple months before the two of us were like, we actually are not suited for each other in some really fundamental ways. It shone a light on on about a hundred other things that we were Mm. like, oh, we aren't for each other. We had outgrown each other. We'd had beautiful children together and it was lovely, but we let each other go. 
And it was hard, but also it gave us access to the rest of the lives we meant to be living. So I was in my early 30s then, and um, the person I had fallen for, it turned out, was already in an open relationship. And I did not know that. So uh, his wife was like, yeah, cool. Come on in. Like, this this is fine. That's handy. (laughs) Right? Wasn't it like very shocking to my system? I was like, because I went to her first in my monogamous naivete I was like, okay, so I need to ask permission. So I went to her and I was like, I'm having all these feelings. I don't know what to do, but I feel like because we're friends, the first thing I want to say is to you, like I'm having feelings for your person. And she was like, that's fine. That's fine. Don't worry about it. People have feelings. Let's uh, let's get into it. So I took a deep dive because they were already, they already leapt off that cliff, so (laughs) to speak. And for many, many years. So for about three, two and a half years, we lived as a triad. And that was something I'd never expected ever, but it was really, really amazing how much there was to learn. And it was also my introduction into like, oh, jealousy's, jealousy is just going to be here. It's just going to be mm. present. There are, there are three of us, which means you always have access to the je- jealousy triangle, like right there in front right. of you, right there. <laughs> um, and we made one enormous mistake. Mm-hmm. We decided that jealousy was, you know, it's just gross and bad. It was just right. icky. We didn't want to feel it. We didn't, it was an unevolved emotion that you should just be able to, to like move past as a grown up. So we sort of forbade the word jealousy. We just oh. abandoned it. We tried to, we were like, no, we're not, we're just not. No, you can like, if you're envious, cool. Like we'll work on getting you the thing that you're envious about, but no, we're not going to have that. Well, you, you know what happens when you take a word like jealousy with so much archetypal power and you mm-hmm. hold it in the unconscious and you never talk about it. Right. It pops up so hard and everywhere and where you least expect it. It's like holding a beach ball underwater. It's awful. Right. So yeah, that's why. It, like the story is a little sordid. People find it a little sordid, but the thing is, we all meant well. We all wanted to be together, but the jealousy just crushed us. I mean, anytime when you're not allowed to talk about something, that is a problem, right? If you can actually yeah. face it head on. And it sounds like you guys had a very mature relationship when you started having feelings, you communicated it to each party. And it's interesting that jealousy was something that was taboo, kind of like exactly. so many things in our society. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like we, we were talking about other things that people would have felt were shocking. You know, we talked about, we bought a house together. We, <laughs> right. um, you know, we started parenting our children all together. Like really, I, we had all been in each other's lives a very long mm-hmm. time. So all the kids were actually in really a really good place to just be like, okay, cool. I get to live with my best friend. Sounds neat. Um, <laughs> so that was actually pretty easy. But the jealousy, yeah, we participated in creating this taboo together. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was just... So later, when I was doing my doctoral, like my my study, the research to set up my studies, I tried picking like six other things and jealousy just kept banging on my door (laughs) going like, I am not going to... Like, you have to pay attention. Right. So now I've spent, you know, a decade just on jealousy as my primary focus. And what I found is that everybody has to confront it. Everybody has to work with it. And even if you happen to be a very low jealousy person, lucky you, that's great. Love that for you. But even if you do, 
the other people in your world, that's not their experience. Right. And so there's something for everybody to learn here about how do we how do we work with this taboo and tricky emotion that many people would like to just not exist? Right. And I imagine too, with children in the mix, they may have some interesting jealousy as well with having three different parents. Yes, exactly. And, and, and wrestling, grappling with what it is to come to terms with their own jealousy. And then we had forbidden this word basically Mm -hmm. that would have helped them, which is one one of the reasons why I feel so strongly about being clear that jealousy is normal. Mm -hmm. It is, we don't actually want to get rid of it. I don't care what your relationship structure is. We don't want to get rid of no crushing, no curing, no killing. Don't do that because jealousy serves such a valuable purpose. Mm -hmm. Jealousy has this deep wisdom about when we feel like we are at threat Mm-hmm. We like a relationship that we need or we really deeply value is that threat. I don't want to not know that. What I want to know is how to behave better and how to right. actually advocate for what I need. Because if I go back to those early days, I think, yep, yeah, the kids definitely different, especially different dynamics of the children. There were mm-hmm. seven of them. Mm-hmm. Um, different dynamics of them could have used help specifically back then with like, oh, what you're experiencing right now is jealousy and Mm -hmm. here's how that feels in your body and tell let's work with that information but because we adults weren't dealing with it of course we couldn't actually help the kids deal with it because we didn't know how to either and if we did there would have a lot of things could have been more easily resolved but also we could have had a more nuanced picture of what it meant to have we all have multiple relationships. Even if you only have one romantic partner, we all have multiple relationships and we could have had better language to describe what we were going through when we felt this weird, sticky experience of not enoughness or competitiveness or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Language is our first and best tool for creating better relationships. Yeah. And speaking of tools, you'd mentioned a jealousy roadmap that I was really interested in. I love roadmaps. I love something that's actually practical. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So when I set out to study jealousy, I didn't expect to find any particular um, like actionable takeaway. Luckily, Mm. I was studying it from the perspective of, let me just describe it. I'm just going to collect people's stories and describe jealousy more fully. But what happened was there were many people who were handling jealousy better. Mm -hmm. And then there were other people who were struggling more difficultly with it. Right. And so themes emerged, themes emerged that, that pointed to a particular way of working with jealousy that just was more productive and a little less painful, even Mm -hmm. though it still had its work. And those themes eventually really started to sort themselves out into like, oh, here's the path one takes If you're trying to work with jealousy productively, not denying it and being really present to the fact that, yes, it it is difficult and yes, I'm going to actually deal with it. And, you know, it starts off by just being able to notice jealousy Mm. very early in your body, like notice it. Many people don't really name and notice their jealousy until they are so far down the road that they want to actually physically hurt someone. The very first step that people were taking was just being able to identify the sensations of jealousy in their body and then be able to name it and say, oh, this is jealousy. And my jealousy is kind of flavored like, oh, it's kind of angry and it feels a little insolent and frustrated. Oh, and oh, it's sad. Oh, my jealousy is really sad. Okay. Okay. So now I've taken, that's the first two steps of the jealousy roadmap. I've Mm. noticed 
the sensations, and then I've named the feeling of jealousy and all the other emotions that ride along with it. Because jealousy Mm. always brings a host of other emotions. It's not a standalone by itself. It just, it comes with all this other stuff. Right. And from there, it now we get into like, okay, what do we do? Because it's great to notice a name, but uh, I'm really uncomfortable. And the next two steps are, they're steps that most people are familiar with if they've been to therapy or mm-hmm. if they've been into self-help, right? It's starting to ne- like actually figure out the story I'm telling myself about jealousy. Mm. It, I call it the narrate step, right. right? What is it that I'm saying this jealousy means about me or about my relationship? For instance, in my own story, jealousy meant that we were bad or unevolved. Mm. So, so that story was really the key to holding us all back. The right. story, not the jealousy, but the story we were telling ourselves. Right. Once I unpacked that, jealousy started having a much more tender grip and actually became something that could be arousing, exciting, and fun for me. Hmm. And to this day, that's where it, it lives for me. When I'm jealous, I can I can shift. I can shift into this ground of like, ooh, I'm feeling feeling this tension And the story I'm telling myself is negative. Okay, let me see if I can rework that story into an erotic story. Right. That sounds very similar to something like BDSM where you're taking something that's not a great feeling and then finding out what you can get out of it. Exactly. Yeah. So I also trained as an existential kink coach Mm -hmm. and that's totally, so yeah, the, uh, the existential kink meditation, the don't like meditation is a great tool to use for the narrate your jealousy story. And, and you can make so much change. Even if your partner doesn't change a thing about what they're doing, you can start changing your experience of it. Right. Because sometimes our partners aren't doing anything wrong. Sometimes Mm. it's just that we have this really tough story about it. And so that's step three is the narrates your story. And then step four is what I think most people rush to. Mm -hmm. Step four is about navigating your needs. Like what, what are your needs around this jealousy? For instance, if I'm in a monogamous relationship and I feel like my partner is sexting behind my back Mm -hmm. or is really flirtatious everywhere we go, or I just suspect that they're straight up having an affair Yeah, you absolutely need to deal with that. That is not okay. It's outside the bounds of your relationship. But I do want to get clear. Do you have a relationship agreement? Do they actually Mm -hmm. know that that's outside of the rules of your relationship? Or do you just have a presumption that like your monogamy is well understood with each other? So this is a great time to enlist the help of a therapist or counselor or a relationship coach and say like, okay, what does our monogamy actually mean? Mm -hmm. And if you're non-monogamous... That's fine. That does not mean you don't get to have jealousy or you don't get to have needs. A lot of times in non-monogamous structures, people fall into the idea that a good poly person doesn't feel jealous. Mm. And that's just BS. It just it's just BS. <laughs> like right. you you have your feelings. And sometimes it's because even though we've made a non-monogamous agreement, we actually aren't clear about what behaviors, what what's expected, what we actually want. Right. So again, if I go back to my own story to use it as an example, you know, my um, my metamor, my partner's other partner, his mm-hmm. wife, um, she struggled to ask me for the things that she needed of mm-hmm. me. Like sometimes she needed me to show up and assure her how into the relationship I was. And she struggled with that. Sometimes I struggled to say, you know what? I feel this deep jealousy of the connection that the two of you have that goes back 20 years right. and has all this, in- right? 
And just naming those needs goes such a long way. And here I am 15 years later, I'm like, oh yeah. I mean, the number one thing I need from my partners and my metamors is to just be able to say, I'm having this feeling. It doesn't feel good. Can you just reassure me that this is just, that we're in this together. And even though I'm having this feeling, we can do this. We can, we can proceed. That goes such a long way. Right. And so if you're struggling with jealousy, the navigating your needs stage, so important. You know, it, there are all kinds of ways to approach that. There are communication strategies. There are boundary issues to deal with. There's so much. And it also doesn't have to be the last step. The last step of the jealousy roadmap, if you choose to, mm-hmm. is to practice nurturing compersion. What is compersion? Yeah. So compersion is a word that was coined back in the 90s by polyamorous folks um, mm-hmm. who happened to be living in a communal like setup in the 90s. Um, it's a word designed to uh, help us understand that jealousy isn't always the only emotion we feel when there are multiple partners around. Mm-hmm. We can also feel joy for our partner's joy. So if I am in a compersive state, I am fully experiencing vicarious joy. Like my partner is really enthusiastic about a new partner they have. And I, instead of just feeling jealousy, although I might feel it at the same time, I Mm -hmm. also feel excited for them, joyful for them. I I can literally feel it in my body Mm -hmm. or I can at least have an attitude of like, yeah, you do you. That's awesome. That's that's great. Now, compersion though, sometimes people try to skip over their jealousy and yeah. get to like, how do I how do I turn my jealousy into compersion? And I always want to warn people away from that because your jealousy has its wisdom too, right? We want to mm-hmm. allow jealousy to coexist even with compersion. In fact, my friend, um, Dr. Marie Tuin is a compersion researcher and I'm a jealousy researcher. And together we came up with the word comper struggle when we're like, I want to feel compersive. And I'm struggling too. I still feel <laughs> jealous. <laughs> I'm still feeling jealous. Yeah, you can feel both of these things at the same time. But if you nurture compersion by talking about multiple relationships in positive ways, by asking for reassurance, by really doubling down on your relational values for multiplicity, mm-hmm. you can foster this attitude of compersion without shaming yourself for feeling jealous as well. Right. Um, so even if you're in the comper struggle, you can absolutely <laughs> get to this spot where, yeah, I mean, if I see my my now husband across the room having this really like yummy conversation with somebody I know he's attracted to, I genuinely feel joy for his, like what he's feeling in that moment. He's feeling seen, he's feeling heard, he's feeling appreciated in his body and it feels great in my body. And that, right. I mean, well, when you can nurture it, <laughs> Please do, because it. <laughs> it feels really good. Yeah, yeah. Right. And some people are like, okay, but I could never do that with my romantic partner. And I'm like, yep, okay, that's okay. Think about practicing it first with your children, with your best friends, you know, like think about practicing, allowing yourself to feel that joy mm-hmm. in easier situations. You don't have right. to start with your partner dating someone else. That does not <laughs> right. have to be the start. <laughs> don't jump into the deep end there. The deep end, <laughs> exactly. I did it. I don't recommend it. <laughs> So, I mean, the roadmap is, sounds like such a mature thing to do. It's recognizing what your needs are, recognizing what you can do about it and being proactive and talking through it. Um, I think that most people, if they start on this journey, 
I imagine it gets easier and easier over time. The first step is actually recognizing that jealousy is, is a deep enough problem that you actually need to maybe not go get a doctorate in, but <laughs> at least recognize <laughs> yeah. in yourself. Yeah, I think that that's it. People are often surprised when I say like jealousy was my inspiration, but I think a lot of people take on big work because they have they're mm -hmm. they're really 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 in pain about something, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, for many people who I know who've struggled with jealousy in whatever kind of relationship struggle structure mm -hmm. they have, they recognize that this is going to be some big work for them. I think of, this is psycho spiritual work. This is mm -hmm. like I am going to start digging into whatever trauma I have, whatever stories I have, whatever it is. And yeah, I don't think you need to get a doctorate in it, but <laughs> let it be big. Like, what if it's okay that this is big work for you instead of minimizing it and saying, oh, you just shouldn't feel that way. Mm -hmm. What if you were allowed to experience this as intense and simply be with that intensity for a length of time so that you could really come to terms with it? The same could be said for an emotion like anger or sadness, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. some of us struggle with these bigger, sure. um, harder, darker, you know, emotions. But, you know, I think many years ago, back in the 70s and 80s, we saw a shift away from demonizing anger into saying, oh, you know what? Anger is really valuable. In fact, anger is change energy. Anger helps us understand when something's not fair. Maybe we should figure out how to work with anger directly. I think jealousy is ripe for that same sort of attitude. We have to shift our opinion from being like, jealousy is inherently bad. I mean, something's inherently wrong to, oh, this might be where my work is. This mm -hmm. might be where I need to grow in my relational capacity. No matter where I am now, I'm not stuck. I get to take action on it. I think what we've been talking about so far is quite individual in their work, maybe in like a small circle. If you could have it your way, what would you do on a larger level, maybe on like a societal level? Yeah. Yeah. Well, one, <laughs> of, the, one of the things I would do, and this is, so I just released um, a study. It, it's actually, it's out for publication right now. Mm -hmm. um, designed, it, you know, it was, it was a comparison, a comparative study, but uh, in the experience of monogamous versus non-monogamous experiences of jealousy. And mm -hmm. while I was researching that, one of the things that came up was how frequently we misunderstand the opportunity that we have to learn from other relationship structures. Mm -hmm. So whether you are non-monogamous or monogamous, we can look at how do people in these other structures, how do they handle their emotions? So at a societal level, I would want to start with, well, non-monogamous people have put themselves in the way, of, like in the path of jealousy. They've opened the door to jealousy. Mm -hmm. What are they doing to manage it? Because so many people say, oh, I could never be non-monogamous because I'm jealous. I say, you're a person who feels jealousy, which means you are totally normal and you don't have to choose non-monogamy, but please don't let an emotion rule you in a way that says, oh, because I have this emotion, I could never do X, mm -hmm. Y, and Z. So I would change the conversation to say non-monogamous people have decided to take this on as part of their, their work. And that means that anybody could. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to want that relationship structure to have that. And conversely, I would also say that, you know, people who are in non-monogamous structures can also look to what's happening in monogamy. What is, what is happening in some people's monogamy that we do actually find valuable that would help us feel secure and look and see if that can be part of our relationships or if it's actually so different that it doesn't work for us and simply have this be a, a bi-directional conversation. So we stop making it about being one or the other and we just start right. to think about 
solid relationship strategies, solid relationship tools. And then I think the other big thing I would change is just allowing people to really experience change in their relationships. Hmm. So if you identify as a jealous person right now, okay, what if that were to change? Who would you be then? What if tomorrow you woke up and jealousy was just not an emotion you struggled with? Like you knew it existed, it was a thing, but you were like, boom, it was gone. Do you actually lose a part of your identity? Do you start actually thinking, oh, who am I? Because sometimes when I ask people that question, they realize that there are places that they've been holding themselves back from living the life they really want to live because Mm -hmm. jealousy was their buffer. Jealousy actually created the story that let them say, okay, I say, for instance, in this monogamous bubble, because I'm jealous. That actually resonates so much. So I have... I've been a serial monogamist my entire life. From the age that I was a teenager, I was seeing boyfriend after boyfriend after boyfriend. And it wasn't until, I think it was the pandemic, had a breakup. And I was like, I don't know if I am ready for something serious right now. So I dated casually multiple people at the same time. And that was the first time that I started realizing what being in a dating multiple people. I wouldn't say I, I was in a polyamorous relationship because Mm -hmm. they weren't interacting, but it allowed me to realize what I needed from different relationships. I was like, oh, I actually like that. I like that. And then when I was ready to go back into a serious monogamous relationship, I started looking for those things and expressing my needs for them. And it made it so much easier for my partner (laughs) to know what I needed and how to give it to me. Yes, 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 exactly. And first off, let me commend you for just allowing yourself the time to date casually, to date multiple people casually. I think there is there has been such a rush Mm -hmm. um, of people like joining dating websites and saying like, I'm non-monogamous when what they mean is they want to be able to date casually Mm -hmm. and not be in a defined relationship yet. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say, you get to claim your desire for casual relationships right now. You do not need to decide to be non-monogamous to do so. You will probably learn a bunch of things exactly like what you're saying, Erica, about like what you need, what you want, Mm -hmm. what works for you. And some of you might find out, oh, actually, I do want to have multiple partners. And some of you might figure out, oh, you know what? Actually, my friendships fulfill a lot of that. And that's where I would say what you were living is a life where you were looking at the world through the lens of multiplicity. And through that lens of multiplicity, you're like, oh, I don't have to meet all these needs in one place. And that also doesn't have to mean that I'm going to have my deeper romantic and intimate bonds met in multiple ways. It could be building really close friendships. Mm -hmm. It could be deepening my connection to community. It could be building a family structure that maybe looks a little atypical, but really works for me. I know people who are, for instance, co-parenting with their best friends Mm -hmm. and they still each have romantic partners. You know, like what if we reinvent the whole thing just by looking at relationships with this creative lens of that can start with, what if I just date? (laughs) What if I just let myself discover through dating? Like, yes, do it. Do that. What you were describing, what you coined uh, creative monogamy. I was going to ask you that earlier. You know, so creative monogamy for me is a way to help people understand that you, there is not, we are not in this um, either or world. Mm -hmm. In fact, it is not monogamy versus non-monogamy. There's actually this vast spectrum. And many people actually have areas where they really do want exclusivity, right? Mm -hmm. And so 
I encourage them, if the word monogamy feels good to you and you don't want to let it go, but you also know that there are areas where you want to be deeply expansive, where you want not just for you, but you want your partner to be able to explore fully. Well, cool. You get you get to do that. Where it gets tricky is if people say, okay, we're non-monogamous, but then they start putting a lot of limits and there's act like the couple is super protected, but mm-hmm. they're using the word non-monogamous. That can actually be really confusing to the, the polyamorous people like myself in the world who are like, wait, I thought, I thought you were doing non-monogamy, but they have like this long list of rules where they're like, not this, not this, not this, not this. Mm. So I encourage the use of the word creative monogamy. Some people use the word, the term, Tammy Nelson coined the term open monogamy. Mm -hmm. Um, There are other ways to talk about this, monogamish, Dan Savage's word, Mm -hmm. where we say, yeah, monogamy is still the core of my relating pattern. But for instance, maybe play parties are okay where people are having some sexual expansivity, maybe some swinging or or maybe we would go really deep in our friendships, like really deep in our friendships. Maybe we even open up to the idea of co-parenting with other people mm. or having really profound um, housing arrangements where it's beyond just roommates. And we're like, no, we bought this house together. We live together. And that doesn't mean that we are each other's romantic partner. And I think this is where, you know, my own kids are Gen Z. I don't think that Gen Z and Gen Alpha are going to do things the same way. So, but that doesn't mean that they also want to toss out all of monogamy. Mm -hmm. And I'm very much for like, use the words that help you describe to other people who you are and what you want and what you need. And so when people come to me and they're like, well, we still want exclusivity here, 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 and here. I'm like, great. Define where you're exclusive, define where you're expansive, define what that actually means and tell each other what that looks like and then revisit it, revisit it frequently, you know, have your, have your monthly and quarterly and yearly meetings to see, is this working for us? Is this actually working? And if it is awesome, that's fantastic. You get to make the relationship structure that works for you. Right. Yeah, I, I love everything that you're saying. Those, the relationship agreement, the monthly check-ins, these are all things that me and my friends have in our thirties now discovered like this is a must. This is, this is a requirement. Um, and I think part of the reason is because we're in Bali, an area where there are a lot of people who are in polyamorous relationships. There's like swinging parties left, right, and center. Um, right. and I think of being around that makes you more aware and question like, what do I want? That is similar in that way. Right. Yeah. And, and this is where, so I, I work with people in, so in my, in my coaching world, people are with me for a whole year, Hmm. right? Like they're with, I, I invite them into a whole year because while you can learn some of the language of non-monogamy or opening up pretty straightforwardly, you can listen to some podcasts and really get some language and that's great. But then you have to experiment and find Mm. out like what actually works for me? Because just because something's available doesn't mean it works for me. You know, I have a friend who lives in LA. So she's been trying out all the local sex clubs with her husband and she's loving it. We did a whole podcast episode. I have a podcast and we recorded the episode and she's like, yeah, so we've been twice. It's really, really fun, but also, oh my gosh, it's a lot (laughs) for my nervous system. Like I'm really just right. It's a lot. She's like, so, so for them, they, they started to put some parameters around like, where does this fit in our life? So it doesn't feel overwhelming, doesn't take up every ounce of their energy. And other people are like, oh yeah, that's, that's my life. Like, this is where I'm actually feeling fueled. I'm feeling energized. This is perfect for me at this phase of my life. Just knowing that you get to base your relationship around what you want and you need, and you get to co-create that with your partners, like, 
So that's exciting. it. Like, that's so exciting. That is the future of relating. I love that. So we're coming to the end of our podcast, but before you leave, I'd love to hear any resources that you may want to present to the audience. So you mentioned a podcast earlier. Yeah. So I have a podcast with my anchor partner, Ken, um, Mm -hmm. who oddly enough is that man who I fell for all those years ago. Um, We somehow made it through all that and a lot more. And we remain polyamorous and very, very happy. And he and I have a podcast called Playing With Fire. And what we're talking about there is non-monogamy and the individuation journey, what Mm. it is to treat your relationship as your psychological individuation experience. Um, Mm -hmm. So we treat it really as a psycho-spiritual journey. And it's been a lot of fun to create Playing With Fire because a lot of us are in a position where we're like, we just need to explore more. We need to hear more people's stories. Like how are other people doing relationships? And so playing with fire is a great place to just like dip your toe in. Like how are other people talking about this? Um, And also if you're looking for more information on the Jealousy Roadmap, you can go to listentojolie.com. My my name is J-O-L-I. So listentojolie.com. And you can download a workbook where I walk you right through the five steps so you don't have to take copious notes. (laughs) walk you through the steps. And if you want to go even deeper than that, there's even a jealousy masterclass at the end of that book that you can get my full deep dive into all of my research and what we can do with jealousy when we know how to work with it. Beautiful. I'll make sure to link that in the show notes as well. So people can easily access that. Thank you so much for being on here. It's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been so nice to talk to you, Erica. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you're looking for Jolie Hamilton, you can find her on all platforms under Dr. Jolie underscore Hamilton or at her website, JolieHamilton.com. Check the show notes for easy access as well as a link to the jealousy roadmap she mentioned. If you're interested in learning more about existential kink or relationship agreements, you can check out episode 8 or 13 respectively. If you enjoyed this episode, send it to a friend who would also enjoy it. If you have thoughts or tips you'd like to share, please do at Self Help Junkie on Instagram, Twitter, or Gmail. I'll see you guys next time.